0: Okay, Matthew 28, today, a series called The Year of Opportunity. We smell harvest in the air. Matthew 28, verse 16, then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I was at a Cornerstone ministers meeting about, I don't know, three, four, five, six months ago. can't remember. And one of the guys there, Mike Tidyman, passes the church in Bloxham, He was sort of waxing, lyrical, pondering and vacillating and, you know, said, you know, I I keep looking my people in the eye and saying, you know, ask them this question, are you making disciples today? Are you making disciples today? And I think the sense, sense out of all of this was, is this not the commission that Jesus has given us, his church, us as individuals? Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And I think as he was sort of expressing this question, really, what, I think there were two things he was thinking about. First of all, the idea of disciples. You know, what actually is it? You know, are we disciples? Are we living as disciples? Are we becoming disciples? Do we understand what that means? An emphasis on discipleship in this Christian walk. And the second side was sort of, sort of flipping the question that people, saying, are if this is the call, are you doing it? Are you engaged in the process of making disciples? Now, I'm reading his mind a bit. I'm not 100% sure that's what he was thinking. But as he asked that question, that's what occurred to me. You know, when we read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I think we tend to read it something like this. Go and take the message of salvation to the four corners of the globe. Parallel passage, Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I think, as I hear that, I tend to to have a picture like this, that somewhere on the other side of the world, there's this unreached tribe that desperately needs to see the Jesus video in their language. You know, and and that's, that's true. But, but I think what, what Jesus is calling for here in Matthew 28 is, is a lot deeper and a lot more involved than that. And the message is this, that we, as Christ's disciples, have a crucial role in making more disciples. And so this is the thought that I want to look at today. It's, it, this isn't rocket science. I'm not, not going to tell you anything new particularly. But I think this is a message for us right now. I think this is what the Spirit wants us to hear as we ponder that, you know, how, how, do we, how do we leverage the influence that we have, the, the relationships that we've had? We, we've talked last week about God at work all over the place. You know, keep having conversation with people, and, and they're amazed often, and people will throw out these lines and think, my word, I had no idea that's where you were at, and that's where God was going. So, so the big thought is, is that Jesus has given us this invitation, this commission, this command to go and make disciples. So let's let's dive right into that. There, there's three aspects to that, really. Three three thoughts that I want to, to go into. The first one is is that it's disciples. It's disciples that we're to make, and then the question then becomes, what does that mean? And the second thought is that it's make disciples. The the sense that it's a, it's a process, it's a journey, that it's it's an ongoing thing. In fact, discipleship is a lifelong thing. And the third thought is, is that it's we. It, it's collective. That, that we, the church, you and I, have a collective responsibility for this task of going and making disciples. So that's the plan. Disciples make we. Okay. First one, disciples. Begs The question is, what, what is a disciple? What, what does it mean to be one? What, what does it take to live like one? And in many ways, this is a big question. But in many ways, it's also quite a simple one, I think. When it comes to the idea of disciples, I have in my simple brain, I have a picture, really, drawn straight out of ancient you know, Near East culture. The idea of a, of a, of a rabbi with a, with a group of students, as it were, sitting in a circle at his feet. So the rabbi would be, would be a teacher that they'd be experienced, they'd be educated, they'd be wise. This was probably a position that they were appointed to, but they'd be certainly recognized as someone carrying something, something significant that his disciples wanted to catch from him. And so the disciples in a circle gathered at his feet, I mean they probably didn't literally gather at his feet around a campfire, but well, that's what I picture in my simple brain. The disciples were, were students. They were learners. It's been suggested, probably the, the closest comparable idea we have in our culture would be the idea of being an apprentice. And I'm sad, so I immediately think of Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker, my Padawan learner. So on, taking it back onto more deep themes. John MacArthur wrote, The verb translated as make disciples communicates the idea of a learning believer. We want to be that, don't we? Someone who is growing in his faith and his love for the Lord. Jesus' words emphasise not just the moment of salvation, but the lifetime of sanctification that follows. He made the same point in John 8.31 when he said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. It's this ongoing, this journey thing. As defined by Christ's command to his disciples, the purpose of the church is to make learning believers. Men and women whose lives reflect a deep commitment to and love for the Lord, for his word, and for his people. Amen. That's a picture. Jesus, of course, was often called, wasn't he, a rabbi? And he gathered round him a group of 12 guys. You know, And he invested in those. He took them around with him. He trained them. He taught them. In essence, for three years, he poured himself into that 12. And then from there, he used that group to launch a multiplication crusade, reproducing Jesus. I've discipled you. Now, likewise, you go, and you go and disciple the world. And so we read in the book of Acts, uh, Acts 9 verse 10. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. Acts 9 36. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. <coughs> Acts 16 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. This is very much their paradigm, their expectation, this idea of going, making disciples, reproducing, multiplying. And that's the book of Acts, 2,000 years now, in our, in our world, the disciples, it's, it's me, it's you. It's him and her and, and them. And so we're called in Matthew 28 not just to make converts, though that's great. We're actually called to go and make disciples. The idea and it's so true, isn't it, that conversion isn't the end. Actually, it's the beginning of an exciting journey second thought is it's it's make it's make disciples see discipleship is a journey and disciples are made it's a process it takes time disciples are crafted and fashioned creating me it's a growing it's a refining it's a learning because it's, a, because it's about growing, discipleship by nature is organic. But, it, but I think if we, had to, if we had to examine that journey, that process, that making, if we had to divide it up into stages, to, to split up the process, it might look something like this. Okay? It goes something like this. The first stage, I think, is a, is a stage of seeking. You know, perhaps perhaps people grow curious. Perhaps there's some life change going on around them. Perhaps it's a crisis that hits them. But it, but in the middle of that, there's a there's there's a new opening. There's a new seeking for for God. Might not even know what it is. May not even be able to articulate it. But there's this time of seeking. Perhaps that's the beginning of the process. The beginning of the journey. And I think the next phase, you know, this isn't, you know, this is varied and it's not always going to look like this. The second phase is a phase of investing. And, and I think what happens in there is someone sparks conversation. Someone attracts your attention. Last week we talked, didn't we, about someone sowing a seed. Someone in some way around you starts to demonstrate Jesus to the point that it catches your attention. So it starts with the seeking. Then there's probably some kind of investing, and we're aware, aren't we, of the fact that God is at work all around, just sowing seeds, just putting people across paths, drawing people together, sparking key conversations. That's going on. People are investing in. Third phase, and again, doesn't always have to look like this. I think is going to be an inviting phase. You know, something like this: Come and hear. Come and see. Come and meet. Isn't isn't that what the disciples used to say? Come and see Jesus. Come and hear Jesus. Come and meet this man. It's a tree because he just wanted to meet this guy. The woman with the issue of blood just wanted to grab a hold of the skirt of his garment. An invitation which is going to lead, hopefully, to an introduction. You know, maybe that invitation is an invitation to church. Maybe it's an invitation to an event, Linvoi Primus and Seed or whatever. Maybe it's an invitation to a dinner party. Maybe it's an invitation to the small group that meets in your home. But there's going to be an inviting. Next phase in my little cycle here is hosting. Your invitation requires watching over. You know, you, you, you might need to pick them up in your car. Not physically. No, but you might go get them. might need to, to sit with them during church. You might need to to introduce them to others. You might want to take them back home for lunch afterwards. But there needs to be some kind of hosting. Then from there, number five in our process is following up. You know, processing what they've experienced. I mean, we believe that when people come in here, they're, they're going to experience the presence of God. Who knows? what visual people have when they think of church. I mean, I talk to people, it's not this. I mean, it's horrid in some cases. You know, but people come and I have conversations with people after saying, I don't know what happened there, but boy, did something happen. I, I can't, but you know, we, we would talk about the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, but they don't know what to call it. So, so what do they do with that? Do we just sort of abandon them with that and say, well, good luck? <laughs> you go make head or tail of that? Or, or do, we, do we process with them? Do we follow up with them? Does there need to be a debrief, an explanation, and a reinforcement? And from that, then, does there need to be a second invite, and then a third invite? Then in my imaginary cycle, the next one is, I called it preaching, because I had to have ing at the end of it. It was going to be gospel. You know, that, that, that gospel moment, that, that salvation moment, what we might call reaping. I mean, we love to sow seed, but boy... Do we love reaping? We're going to do a series at some point coming up called Just Walk Across Through," which deals with how do we do that? How do we spark those conversations with people? How do we lead them to that crucial decision? I need to make a decision today for Jesus. How do we deal with all of that? How do we deal with that with people who may be scared, people who may be resistant, people who perhaps not heard that message before? What I will say is involvement in this stage I think is the greatest thrill on this planet to be in the room, to be there when someone makes a decision to invite Jesus into their life. That, that's it. Doesn't get any better than that, as they say. Number six, number seven um, is a is a coined phrase. I love the word. It's assimilating. I like that because I'm a bit of a trekkie, and if you know the Borg, you know you will be assimilated into this collective. The idea of assimilating, with is a horrible word, really, is, is the idea of drawing people in to the point of involvement, to the point of participating. You know, they start off as a first-time visitor, as, a, as an inquisitive seeker. We want to take them, lead them through the process so they become fully engaged with, fully integrated into the Christian life, into church. You know, remembering that for, for many of these people... It may be a completely alien world. I mean, you may look like aliens when they walk in the room. Yeah. I don't know. But for them, it's completely strange. It's a new language. It's a new mindset. It's new habits. You know, Are we surprised that people struggle with that? So, so here, here comes the key message. We have to journey with them. We have to keep our eyes on them. We have to, we have to check up on them. We've got to help them to make friends. We've got to Help them to get integrated into small groups, and we've got to help them to make the decision to baptism and get them involved in joining a team and serving. All these things that we recognise that that contribute to this overall Christian life, the life of a disciple that we're called to lead. Assimilating, I love that word. The next one, nearly there. The next one is training. You know that there's going to be a mentoring. if it's a growing, if it's a journey, if it's a process, if it's lifelong, there's going to need to be teaching. There's, there's possibly going to need to be counselling. There's going to be coaching. And there's going to be getting people out there and, and observing and watching what they do and how they're doing and how they're coping with all of this. You know, we as a church have a key role, don't we, in discipling people. And the completion, the full circle of my cycle, ultimately then it's the releasing you know, we, we, we equip people to serve. We help them to identify their gift, their purpose, their destiny. What is it that God's placed me for? And then like the vision of pushing them out the nest, helping them to fly, hoping they don't crash too often, and supporting them and encouraging them as they flourish in what God's called them to do. That, for me, in simple terms, you might have other ones in there, is, is the journey of discipleship. So it leads to a question, really. Me to throw at you. I wonder where you are on that journey. And as you look back, if you're old like me and you've been in this game for a while, you know, as you as you ponder your story, can you remember those, those different phases? Can you remember when you were seeking? Can you remember the first invitation? Can you remember when you first accepted the gospel? That amazing day. What can you remember of, of that of that training period that growing period we're all in that now aren't we still that's ongoing as you ponder your story can you remember significant parts of it Ma- maybe as you look at that list you, you think actually do you know what? I, I'm, I'm stuck there if I'm honest you know there, there's a point in there where I've just kind of stalled and I know actually I, I need someone to help me to get up to the next stage so I can get to I which is the, the releasing stage and then the cycle can go round again And then that leads to to another question, which is, if we are called to make disciples, are we involved in helping people on that journey for themselves? Are we helping people on to the next stage? Are we engaging with people through the process? Because the third thought in this is, the first one is disciples, the second one is make, the third one is that it's we. I remember once upon a time preaching a message about we, and it's we, and it's we, and it's we. My kids were very small, and they were sitting at the back in the in the nursery with the window, and all the way home they were giggling. And uh, I might have told you this story before. They were giggling all the way back, and eventually I said, "What was it, kids?" And there was, <laughs> "Daddy said we in church." <laughs> <laughs> they were very excited about that. But it is, folks. It's we. Okay, cover their ears. You know the old African proverb, which says it takes a village to raise a child. Bet you didn't know this, Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village. I'd like to, to, to spin that into the church context and say that it takes a church to make a disciple. You know, we're all involved in one way or another. There's lots of different ways I could go with this, but for the sake of time, just one really. Paul paints in 1 Corinthians 12 this picture of the church as a body. The more I ponder, the more time I spend as a pastor, the more grizzled I get. You know, the more I'm compelled by that picture, that we are a body. You know, we're diverse, we're different, we've all got different gifts, we're all at different levels of experience and maturity and personality. But in the beauty of all of that, there's this body. This body that the Lord wants to grow and to feed and to nurture and to mature. said, we've all got a different place To play in that, and they're all significant, and uh, and, and each individual role is indispensable in its own way. But it takes we. It's we. Daddy said we in church. Don't forget that. So what's what's your part? which, Which part of the body are you? That's a big question, I know. But we need you. We need every part. You know, you may be a teacher, you may be a Server, you may be in hospitality, maybe your gift, teaching, maybe your gift, prophecy, maybe you may be in prayer and intercessor, you may be a giver, you know, and countless. You know, read Romans 12, there's a list there of different spiritual gifts, all sorts of different parts. But the point is, it's we, it takes a church to make a disciple. It takes us back to that original Mike Tideman question Are you making disciples today? It's we. Are you, are we making disciples today? We're not not going through the motions. We're not just coming to church, hear a message. We're not just doing our routines. Are we making disciples? So that's the case. The question becomes, whose discipleship process are you engaged in? And perhaps the flip of that is, who's engaged in your discipleship process? And wherever you are on that journey Have you opened the door and let people in to walk with you? And are there people around you who you are walking with? Have you ever thought about this? I don't know. As you look at the people around you, what about the person two seats along? Not this person next to you. You're married to them. You probably know. But two seats along, perhaps three. You know, where where are they? Where are they on this journey? What are they doing right now? What about the person who lives next door to you in your street? Where are they on this journey? They may be right at the beginning. What is it that person needs? And then I suppose the question becomes, are you called to get involved? Again, our call as a church is to make disciples. So where is that person down the row? Do they need befriending? Are they asking big questions right now? Are they at a crucial life stage? You know, maybe they're lost on the way. Maybe at some point on their journey, they disengaged. I mean, we keep having conversations with people. Yeah, you know, I used to go to church. What was the line someone said to me? Steve said to me, my friend, you know, my, my parents pray in tongues he used to pray in tongues. And that came out of nowhere. But sometimes people have disengaged from this process. All around us are people. They're somewhere along there. Where are they? And are we called to be involved in that? Again, the question from last week, what is it that God is doing? Because I guarantee you that he is doing. The discipleship process is fluid and it's dynamic. You know, there are those, again, think of my, my list of A to I, there, there are those people who are at the beginning of that road and they desperately need those people further along the line to walk with them similarly, it's actually vice versa. Those people down the road, actually they cannot grow. They cannot find their purpose and fulfillment. They cannot have their stretched faith, their faith stretched without those people at the beginning of the process. But again, the point is that like a family, like a body, we're in this together. It's we. You might ask, you know, whose job is discipling? Surely it's Jamie's job. Well, I do have a job. I'm accountable for that job. But actually, it's your job. It's our job. It's the church's job. And we, here he goes again, and we are the church. Church is we. Christian life is we. Discipleship is a collective thing. And in a healthy church community, this sort of thing is happening organically, and organisationally. You know, it's, it's happening all around us, relationally. We're not controlling it, we're not micromanaging it. It's, it's just happening in the conversations, in the relationships, in the small groups, in the homes. In a healthy church, that's happening. In healthy church, it's also happening structurally. You know, there are things that we're organising and planning and intentionally doing to help people along that journey. You know, some of this stuff will happen around sitting room coffee tables in the middle of the week. And some of these things will happen in circles, in the church, in, in a, some kind of organized program. Yeah. It's happening organically, and it's happening organizationally, if, as a church community, we're healthy. Yeah. And the thing, as I, as I point this, if, if there's one point that I really wanted to make, it goes something like this. Our job ain't done when we pass them an invitation card. Good to pass them invitation cards. We printed out some lovely blue ones. Take as many as you like. But that's just the beginning. Actually, our job isn't done when they finally come. We badgered them for years and finally they quit and they give and said, okay, if it keeps you quiet, I'll come. But actually, our job's not done then. Job's not done. When they come back, I mean it's wonderful when you invite people when they come back. It's very exciting, encouraging. But our job's not done then. Job's not even done when they get baptized. I mean, baptism's awesome, it's wonderful, we're looking forward to that in a couple of weeks. But that's not the end, that's just the point along the process. And we are called to walk with people. Amen. Maybe, maybe not the whole way, maybe it'll be short term, maybe for you, it is just one phase of that journey. But maybe in some situations it's, it's going to be long term. You're going to walk with them on, over the long haul. It's going to take 10, 20 years. Yeah. See, Matthew 28 18, 19 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's we, it's us together. We as a church engaged in that process. That process is number two, making disciples. Disciples that are formed and fashioned and chiseled over a long period of time. Disciples. People who are learners and students reproducing Jesus, growing and learning. So in practice then, we're nearly there. Here's my strap line for the day. My strap line goes like this. Healthy disciples make disciples. That's good, isn't it? Catchy. Healthy disciples make disciples. You know, this is how Jesus set it up. This was his model. This is what he demonstrated. And this is what he commissioned his church to do. And if you are personally walking the path of discipleship, and if you are healthy in that, you will, by definition, be making disciples. Because healthy, growing disciples make the next generation of healthy, growing disciples. That's how it works. You know, we see this process all the way through the Bible. In the Old Testament, that there's this constant reminder to teach your kids. You know, they constantly exhorted one to retell the stories, to remember the heroes, to memorize the scriptures, to engage in these acts of worship that are, that are poignant and collective and significant. This is what we do together as a community. We see this in Jesus. Jesus, we know, preached to the masses with tremendous results. But he spent the bulk of his ministry time with just 12 guys, and actually quite a bit of it with just three. This is what he modeled. This is what he demonstrated. This is what he commissioned. Continues in Paul, doesn't it? In the the, um, epistles, you see Paul talking about the various young men that he disciples, that he mentors that he takes with him on the road. Timothy is the most famous example. But again, the point is, if we are healthy, if we are doing this right, if we are following Jesus' example and his teaching, then we will be personally investing our lives into others. Personally investing our lives into others. This is absolutely key for our growth, our success as Christians as a church, actually as parents. This idea of drawing a line alongside people wherever they are on that journey and helping them to take the next steps. I just want to put this into two contexts. First of all, you as an individual and then us as a church and then we'll be done. So for you, for you personally, some leading questions. Just four of them. Number one, are you a disciple? Are you living as a disciple? Where are you on that path, that journey, that process? Second question is, are you helping to disciple others? Are you engaged in the process? Are you participating in other people's journeys? Question three, related to that, I think, which is, which what has God placed immediately around you? What, what, what's your sphere of influence? What relationships has God placed? What opportunities? Here we go. What opportunities has God, has God littered in your path? What are you going to do about that? God has placed you where he has placed you for a specific purpose, for a time such as this, so that you can take the advantage of these opportunities that he gives us. We dealt with that last week. And the number four ties in with it again, which is are you discipling your children? Are you discipling your children effectively? It's a good question, isn't it? I think we need to we need to look at it from that perspective, as parents too. What I wanted to do really was, was to open your eyes to the process. And I said there's nothing new in this, there's no rocket science, no deep theology. What I want you to do is put this slap bang in the forefront of your thinking. And I want, want to encourage you to start to see the people around you slightly differently. And to start to see you have a role as part of the whole. I, want, I just want to get you open your eyes, to start to think, start to see. You know, we're called to go and make disciples. Are we engaged in this process of making disciples? And again, my strap line is, Healthy disciples make disciples. It's an inevitability. You know, that's, that's what this healthy disciples do. And then you can only give people what you've got. You can only teach people what you've learned. You can only take people where you've been. You can only show people what you've seen. And so the point is, we have to be healthy. We ourselves have to be engaged in this discipleship, this learning this growing process. And if we do that, out of that, we will find ourselves involved in this process of making disciples all around us. And then think how healthy the body starts to become. Last week I I shared a prayer that I pray um, often. It goes like this. Father, move me physically and geographically across the paths of those people who need to hear the words that I have to say, who need to drink the water that is in my well. It's a prayer that I was taught you know, 25 years ago. And so out of that, you know, what, what are the words that you have to say? What is it that you carry? What, what, what is the water that's in your well? And then out of that, what's, what's God doing around you right now? And what's God calling you to do? And that's you as an individual. We're finished with we're talking about us, us as a church. You know, the Bible has no place for Christianity in isolation. You know, we have got to maintain a healthy balance between our individual responsibility and collective accountability. You know, there are things that you can get in your, in your personal Christian life that you can't get from anyone else. You've got to go and do it yourself. But the flip to that is there are things that you can get in your corporate Christian life that you just cannot get on your own. It's not either or, it's both and. There's an interesting study that I've heard preachers talk about, and I've never done it until this week, which is look at all the verses in the New Testament that include that little phrase, one another. Have you ever done that? There are lots of them. Probably the most common one is the exhortation to love one another. Look around the room. Love one another. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you: love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Reproduction. By, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen. And then if you look through the New Testament, you can do this and do a study. These are the sorts of things we're encouraged to. We're encouraged to honor one another. We're encouraged to live in harmony with one another, to accept one another, to serve, to be patient. To be kind and compassionate with one another. To greet one another with a holy hiss. Kiss, hiss, kiss. That one comes up a lot. We'll gloss over that one. No kissing. Holy kissing, but no kissing. We're encouraged to forgive one another, to teach and admonish one another, to submit to one another, not to slander one another or grumble about one another. None of you do that, that's fine. To offer hospitality to one another to be humble and gentle towards one another. Another repeated crucial one is is to encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of approaching. Let us, encourage, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Together, encouraging. It says all the more as you see the day approaching. I think today, as a church, is a time for us to consider. You know, as I look at church, I, th- I think our role primarily is, to, as, as we grow a healthy church, It is to grow healthy people, healthy disciples, because healthy disciples make disciples. And there are many different facets to how we as a church, and we consider what we're doing and how we're doing it, there are different facets to how we make people healthy, how we make people spiritually healthy and flourishing and blooming and growing. On one side of that, church must be educational and experiential. You know, church must be an environment for people to meet with God. It must be a place where people can learn about God. You know, We invest, I personally invest, we invest a lot of time into that. It's people learning about God and experiencing God. That's crucial. But church must also be missional and relational. You know, In all of this, we're designed actually to need one another. We're designed to walk with others. We're designed to work together. And wonderful though it is focusing on education and experience, equally we must focus and maintain focus and invest into relationship and mission. And that gives us actually several challenges as we grow as a church. You know, as I... I sit out and look and see new people coming, and we're fantastic to have new people. We love welcoming new families into our congregation. That's awesome. But the questions start to bubble up like, like who are these people? Where have they come from? Where'd they, where'd they where have they been? Where are they on that journey? You know, with my pastors, like what experience do they have? What what gifts, what skills do they have that they might be able to contribute to this body? Questions like this, what exactly do they need to help them grow? To take them from where they are to where they want to be? And and then who who are they in relationship with? How can we help people to develop significant Christian friendships and connections? And then questions like this, how, how how can we get people involved in church life if they want to? And then another question on my mind, how do we cultivate people to get the want to? How how then do we, we strengthen the core of the church? How do we get more and more people into their sweet spots? These are the questions we have. And so much about this is about connection, it's about relationship, it's about discipleship. As I close this morning, really, I want to press the importance of connection and relationship. And fellowship. You know, in this, in this church we have, we have a small group system and, and, and this is one of the ways that we can help, help you to connect. I mean, hopefully, as I said, lots of these things are happening organically. People are making friendships, they're having conversations, they're, they're gathering together. That's all good and healthy. But There's also an extent to which we can organise this structure and we can help people to get into key relationships. You know, many people tell stories of small groups that at critical moments in their lives bumped them up several jumps in their journey. We, we have different forms of small group in this church. The first one is what, what we call house groups, which is the traditional model of a midweek Bible study, gathering, probably with some worship, perhaps with food, open the Bible, share some thoughts, and pray for one another. You know, that's great stuff. You know, some people do that weekly, some people find that actually in this day and age they can only do it fortnight, but that's great. And we want to have healthy house groups. Our vision actually is to have healthy house groups like that in every town, every village, scattered around with the barn at the hub, as it were. The second form of small group is slightly different. We we recognise that actually house group is quite difficult, particularly if you've got young kids. Particularly if you're only getting home from work at 7.30 on a Wednesday night. Perhaps the thought of going out in the snow, in the rain, in the drizzle, with screaming kids left behind to small group is not desperately appealing. And it's a struggle, I understand that. So What we've done is is try to create an imaginative, flexible alternative uh, way in. We call them connect groups. Uh, We've launched this a while ago. We've got two or three, four that have started up. I'm in one, it's great. Really, really love it. And and the the picture here is, is a group of perhaps up to about six, they're not enormous, three, four, five, six people you can probably do it with three. Um, probably men together, or perhaps ladies together, or perhaps two or three couples together. With no rules particularly. No, no, you have to do a Bible study, you have to week weekly, you know, whatever fits. You know, maybe it's once a month, for a bunch of businessmen in a coffee shop or around a golf course or whatever it is that flicks your switch. You know, maybe it'll be weekly, maybe it'll be monthly, maybe it'll be fortnightly, maybe it'll be randomly. It doesn't matter. The point is it gets you into relationship, into connection with people that can walk with you, that can encourage you and can support you and can pray for you. The great flexibility in that. The third type is is what we call grow groups. Um, Grow groups are are something we're going to love, looking forward to launching and this, the idea of this is to give people specific, short-term learning opportunities, really. So uh, I'm thinking of things like Christian foundations. I mean, Alpha's wonderful, but something that teaches the basics of the faith. There's a wonderful course called Freedom in Christ, which digs in so many of the aspects that you'll find and come across in your journey and the, some of the baggage that you carry into Christian life and how we break into free and full Christian living are you know, These kind of ideas where we can pull together a group for perhaps six, eight weeks, however long it takes, and really invest in that particular group within the context, in, in many ways, of a small group so that it's relational and it's conversational, at least to an extent. This is what we're looking to do. We're looking to help people to get into connection. We're looking to help people to become assimilated. Fully integrated, fully involved in church life and Christian life. And I don't think you can separate the two, actually. Because we are the church. Church isn't something that we do. It's not a place we go. It's who we are. We can't help it. It's tough. It's too late. You're in. <laughs> to that end, I've, I produced a survey today. You've probably found it already in your um, bulletin. Some of you have already filled it in because it was even more exciting than listening to me preaching. But what I'd like you, thank you, thank you for laughing. It's very kind. <laughs> I think that was a good thing. Um, what I'd like to invite you to do is: at this stage, is a gathering of information. You know, we, we, how how do we manage putting people and connecting people up? We've got 300 plus people, some of whom come on Sunday, some of whom don't. Some come every week, some of whom don't. How do we how do we manage all of that? The answer I've got no idea really. But what I reckon we can do is I can gather some invita- some information today. Uh, and, and try and, and find out if, if there are groups of people who want to be connected, and maybe we can catalyze that. Maybe we can accelerate that. Maybe we can get people, pray about it and get people together and help people to walk together. Because that, for me, is what discipleship, disciple-making is all about. Healthy disciples make disciples. We are called to journey together. I'm just going to leave you with a couple of thoughts finish with and we'll close with a song I think nearly 20 past first question in response to this where am I on that journey where am I on that journey who do I need to help me on that journey and what's the next step that I need to take on that process and I'd like to invite you this morning to take that to the Lord as we've talked about it Presumably thoughts have been running through your head. That's number one. Number two is, who around me is where on that journey? And how can I help them move along a stage? Am I called to help them move along a stage? Or is everyone looking at them thinking, well, they'll be okay. Maybe you. Maybe God's calling you to invest resources into that situation. And the third question is, is, is the one another. With, with whom am I meaningfully connected? Who am I in friendship with? Who's walking with me? Who am I encouraging and walking with? And is there any way that I can accelerate that? Let's pray. Why don't we stand? You sat very patiently. I thought I was going to be really short today. Oops. That didn't work. I always think that. It never happens for you bless you, you keep coming back. You're very gracious. Let's pray, shall we? So Father, we know what Jesus did, what he modeled, what he taught. We understand this principle, we understand this commission that we have. And all we want to do this morning, really, Lord, is to make ourselves available. And say, yes, Lord, I I want to be in that. If you're calling me to do something, I, I want to be available. If there's someone that I need to walk with, wh- wherever they are, maybe they're in that training phase, and they need something that I've got. Maybe they're right at the beginning, they're still seeking. Maybe they live down the road and you're stirring something inside of me. This is how it works, Lord. That you call people, that you equip people, that you connect people, that you interweave people to fulfill your purposes. Well, I pray that the message this morning has, has provoked and stirred thoughts in people's minds, but ultimately, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to teach us. And Lord, we need to know exactly what it is that you are saying to us. What are you calling me to do in response to all of this? So, Father, we give you the next couple of minutes as we worship, as we close, and we say, Lord, What are you stirring in our hearts today? In Jesus' name. Amen.